Hello, everybody. It's another episode of People with Barry. I'm Barry Corder, host of People with Barry. Obviously, hence the name. Clever, right? It's February 2022. I haven't done one of these in quite some time. And uh, quite honestly, I've been meaning to. I have several ideas um, that I plan to get to in the next couple of weeks. Um, The... Reason The original reason behind this show, I've been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, uh, originally actually the Dalton Advertiser and then the Chattanooga News Free Press. And then when we merged with the Chattanooga Times, we became the Chattanooga Times Free Press around 1998. I've been there through all of that since 1987. And as you can imagine, in that time, I've met a lot of really cool and interesting people. Um, a lot of them in the entertainment field. That's primarily what I've covered for all this time. Very fortunate. I have the cool job, as I say, and I'm well aware of it and very appreciative. Um, had some amazing things that I plan to share on some of these shows, and I have already in previous episodes. Um, people that I've met that either had a story that was longer then I could include in a newspaper article or they did something other than what the article was about either before or after Um, or I just think they're cool people with a cool opinion or they have a opinion contrary to mine that's one of the things that I love about journalism and my job though it doesn't necessarily show up in the entertainment field very often or as often as it might in say politics but I love, uh, I love having my mind changed. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is have conversations with people who have opinions that differ from ours and to actually listen. And maybe they may change your mind. Um, nothing worse than somebody who is so set in their ways that they can't hear a contrary fact uh, or the truth. Uh, but that's a sidebar for another day. So, um, like I said, I have a bunch of stories and a lot of them, uh, well, that's a change. Let me go back. So that was the original intent of People with Barry was never to be about me per se as, as much as just people that I've met. Uh, but then I, I think I was at a couple of parties or events or social gatherings and I realized that I was, uh, inevitably telling the same stories over and over. And, uh, for whatever reason, people, either laughed or seemed engaged, so I thought, well, maybe I I should write these down or record them or something. So that's what I've started doing. Some of them are funny. I hope they're funny. Um, today I want to, I started to do just a couple of minutes about the Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival, uh, but I realized it's become such a huge part of my everyday life that uh, I'm going to probably devote an entire episode 
to it. Um, and I'll start backwards a little bit, and maybe you'll understand why I'm devoting so much time to it. But I've been going, I went to the first one in 2002, took some years off, which I'll explain why in a minute, and have been going every year since 2007, except obviously the two pandemic years when that didn't happen. Uh, currently, I'm in year five of hosting the What Podcast with uh, my co-host Brad Steiner and our co-host and producer uh, Russ Lord Taco Jackson. Lord Taco Taco is derived. He came up with that name years ago, well before he ever knew it would be used in public. Um, it's tweeting and communicating online is what Taco is an acronym for. Uh, Taco likes to he likes to figure out software and things like that, and he figured out a software that would take parts of his tweets and uh, from previous um, days or whatever and merge them into one tweet. Um, ends up with some pretty funny non-sequiturs, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, we've been hosting that thing for five years, and it started as a, not a joke, it was a way to entertain us. Uh, in 2018 with a lineup that we didn't know a majority of the people. And we also, like everybody else, were dabbling in Facebook Live and all kinds of other things. And uh, casually mentioned one day that we should do something similar that summer. And uh, Brad, to his credit, <laughs> within, well, he and Taka, within uh, probably four days, had a, a website and uh, everything else, and I'll get into that. But where that thing has gone, uh, could have never imagined. Um, we now have listeners all across the country and even the world. Uh, we're picked up by the Consequence Network, so we're one of their podcasters now. Uh, interviewed a lot of cool bands. Just this last week, we interviewed uh, Tyrone from Rufus to Soul, uh, all the guys from Coin. Um, like I said, it's just been a pretty remarkable run. So I thought, well, if nothing else, I'd like to get it on record how all that came about. So with that being said, um, in 2001, I suppose, maybe it was early 2002, I was at the newspaper, as I always was, and heard about this festival coming to Manchester, Tennessee, and like everyone else in the world, uh, my first thought was, why, um, how, who, who would do that? We found out it was a farm in Manchester, and then I'll be quite honest, um, found out it was a camping farm, and that the headliners would be uh, Dirty Dozen Brass Band, DJ Logic, Les Claypool's Flying Frog Brigade, Amon Tobin, Widespread Panic, Old Crow would be there, Ween, Government Mule, Umphreys, um, some bands that I knew because they had played Chattanooga, like uh, Keller Williams, Incident, um, Donna the Buffalo, they'd been here, Carl Denson I knew. Um, the others, quite honestly, were not in my wheelhouse. They were not bands that I would, at that time, given any consideration to. And, let's see, I would have been, what, 40? 
Yeah. Uh, so the idea of camping, uh, didn't do a lot of camping and I certainly wasn't going to camp on a farm in a field, uh, with 90,000 people to see, uh, you know, widespread panic at that time. Now I can hear some of you shaking your head. I'm probably shaking my head right now too, but I'm talking about 2002. Um, anyway, didn't give it any, any thought. Went into work that June day, uh, it would have been a Thursday and all of media was, uh, what's the word in an uproar or talking, chattering, whatever about this gigantic traffic jam in the middle of Tennessee roads on I-24 going east and west were completely backed up all the way to Mont Eagle and beyond, if you know where Manchester is, and almost to um, Murfreesboro, uh, if you're going towards Nashville. And my boss said, you and photographer Tim Barber get in the car and go get us a story. Now, again, I'm just being honest, this was not good news. This was the worst news for me. Uh, I hate sitting in traffic. I'm a pretty patient guy, but sitting in traffic going nowhere is not fun for me. Uh, the good news is I was with Tim, who's a great guy, laid back. Uh, we, we had a lot of fun talking, going up there. Anyway, we pulled in to the Holiday Inn, which was the Welcome Center, and the check-in area for media, at which, which it was until supposedly last year was going to change. But anyway, we pulled in, had no trouble. Traffic pulled right off the off the freeway, got right to it, walked right in, told them who we were. They could not have been nicer. Um, gave us our wristbands, if I remember correctly. And I think even either, I don't remember if they escorted us or just told us. Uh, but went right to the entrance, Walked in, and immediately we both looked at each other and said, this is pretty cool. This is not like anything else I'm, I'm aware of. And if you've been to the farm, you've been to the site, there's a huge tree, or a couple of trees, right near the sound stage in front of the witch stage. The, the uh, We soon discovered that the stages at Bonnaroo were called the what, the witch, this, that, and the other. Those are the main ones. Um, this tent, that tent, the other tent, or the what stage and which stage. Which, if you're clever, you figured out why our podcast is called the What Podcast. It's uh, not a good name. It's not an easily uh, discernible name. It's not something you would as immediately associate with a Bonnaroo podcast or a festival. Uh, but just as in a quick aside, when we conceived the idea, we... We knew we didn't want to get sideways with the the people producing it because they'd been good to us all along and we wanted them to continue to be good to us. So we reached out and told them what we were planning and they were completely on board and I think excited about the idea but said you can't use the uh, Bonnaroo in your URL or the graphics because um, quite honestly that's what they sell. So... We said, cool. So we came up with the What Podcast. So anyway, that in front of that tree, Tim and I are walking around. We're taking pictures. We're talking to people. 
where are you from, why are you here, all that sort of thing. And saw some people sitting, you know, on the ground in the shade, cross leg with uh, passing a uh, a bong around, and it was a inflatable two piece thing that you blew up and slipped together. First of all, I'd never seen anything like it, and secondly, they were literally right out in the open. Now, this is 2002, so it was still a little bit unusual. And again, we both looked at each other and said, all right, this is a little different. We hung out as long as we could. Uh, Tim, because there was limited uh, internet access, if any, rented a room there at the Holiday Inn just for that. I I think he got it for two nights because he figured we would probably be sending somebody back up there. And uh, so he used their internet and sent some pictures back and we drove home. And I remember telling my wife, I I wish I was still there. Now, I did not wish I was still there camping. Um, So anyway, technically I was at the first one. Uh, Don't remember, didn't see a whole lot of music, so, but whatever. And so then for three, 2003, four, five, and six, we always had a reporter you know, a 20-something-year-old reporter who wanted to go. And like I said, I didn't I didn't own a tent. I think I could get my hands on a sleeping bag if I needed to. That was about it. So I was not unhappy. And again, the lineups weren't anything that I was particularly interested in at that time. To be quite honest, I was... I'd been at the paper since 87, so... 20 already whatever that is 15 years almost I had covered all of the concerts at the Memorial Auditorium Tivoli Theater or most of them rather uh, especially later um, and uh, the arena and uh, and quite honestly at that time uh, so at that time to be honest uh, concerts to me were becoming very cookie cutter. We were getting a lot of great shows with a lot of big names, but with the you know rare exceptions of the Tina Turners or or uh, even the Def Leppard show, which uh, I still say was one of the great surprises of my life. How much I enjoyed it. But they were very same. There were a lot of arena shows. Um, I've said on the What podcast that at that time the it was not long after the incident in Cincinnati with the who where people were killed, trampled to death, trying to get down to, you know, get a great spot for festival seating. So as a result, uh, a lot of shows became seated shows, which in my opinion, and I completely understand why it happened, but it took a lot of the fun and the life out of, out of the shows. It's like going to church, you know, you're sitting in your seat the whole time and everybody telling you to sit down and, and be quiet because they can't see and things like that. Um, so anyway, it was it was kind of a you know I wasn't that fired up and and to be honest, I don't think I was alone. Uh, the industry was um, I don't know. It just felt like a lull. Um, and so when the other reporters wanted to go, I was all for it. You know, I did all of the pre pre stuff stories, the previews, uh, especially, you know, 05, 06, I started to get a little more interested because more and more bands were coming that I knew 
and Bonnaroo was reaching out to the paper because Chattanooga is a good market. We're 65, 70 miles away. So we were definitely one of their uh, key markets. And so they were reaching out and uh, developed a, a really good relationship with uh, Ken Weinstein and uh, the people who do their marketing. And so then in, I want to say it must have been the fall of 06, and I say that because I'm guessing we were coming up on the end of a fiscal year and budgets were being discussed and those sorts of things because um, our assistant editor at the time called me into his office and said, hey, we got kind of a problem. We can't keep sending our hourly reporters um, to Manchester for four days uh, to cover stories. We just can't afford to pay them those kinds of things. Uh, those kinds of hours, and we can't afford for them to be away from their beats. These were like cop reporters or um, education reporters or general assignments. So at that time, I was the associate features editor, which meant I was basically on salary, which meant I was, you know, on the hook for whatever they wanted. And uh, he had the decency. I'll give him this. He had the decency to allow it to be my idea. You know, he said, who do you think we should send? And um, I'm not the brightest bull, but it took me a second or two. And I thought, well, I guess that would be me. So I agreed and went home and uh, panicked. And basically panicked for the next however many months it was. Um, because like everybody else, I had heard... I mean, you have to remember 2007, um, we didn't have, the internet was fairly new, and so you could get online. In fact, that's how they sold out the first Bonnaroo, was online. There was no marketing. They didn't spend a dime on marketing. It was all word of mouth, uh, some of the, you know, chat rooms, and that's, quite honestly, I was told later why Fish, I mean, uh, why those bands, particular bands, were chosen, because Fish... Uh, had proven that people would camp for that kind of music. And so I, I'll try to get into that again here a little bit in a minute. But anyway, so I spent the next several weeks and months doing what every other person who was coming to Bonnaroo for the first time was doing, which was looking for tips and hints and how to survive. I mean, it really, the... Um, the perception was that you were basically going to another country in lockdown and you better bring everything. You, you better bring every survival tool that you can think of. Um, everything from bathroom habits to showering to food to clothing. Um, I remember uh, several of the big tips. One was uh, wear sandals with straps because it's going to rain if it gets muddy and you're in flip-flops or even Birkenstocks, you're going to step in the mud and, and you're going to leave your sandal behind. So that was a big one. So the TiVos became the the hot thing. Everybody had to have TiVos, you know, with straps. Uh, the best tip I got through it all was buy a case of water and freeze it and use that as both your ice, your cooling, you know, element in your cooler and you're drinking water. I do that still to this day. Best thing ever. Because ice, when it melts, just makes all your food wet. Uh, and it will melt. 
um, and the frozen bottles, um, they stay frozen for a long time. Great tip. But what I didn't get, and no one, if they said it, it didn't register. No one said bring shade. At that time, the farm, which is now known as, it's actually the Bonnaroo Farm, but everyone colloquially called it the farm for many, many years. It's 700 acres right in the middle. It's a working farm. And there were probably about three trees in the entire place. And they parked you in a wide open field, bumper to bumper, uh, door to door. And you had the space, you had about a car length space behind you or in front of you if you wanted to choose to park that way. But basically you pulled in, there were chalk lines, you pulled in and you had the space outside of your trunk to put up your tent or your sleeping bag or your tarp or whatever. Well, I had a little bitty pup tent, little bitty pup tent that I think I got from my father-in-law that basically big enough for me to crawl into. My photographer at the time, the first couple, um, Ashley, um, she also had a small tent. Neither of us thought to bring a tarp. I, I don't remember if I had it or it was just in the back of my, I think I had like a rodeo. I had a two by three or two by four piece of plywood and I threw some plastic sawhorses in the back and that became our table for the weekend for four days. And I had a big golf umbrella, which we took a bungee cord and strapped it to that little makeshift table. And then we followed it like a sundial. That was the only shade that we had in, in our camping area. Um, and it also rained one of those nights. The air mattress that I did bring uh, deflated overnight so I woke up in a puddle of water in the bottom of my tent that was actually after watching it lightning uh, about two or three in the morning and I remember thinking there's nowhere for me to go I'm probably not going to survive this night um, but did uh, but anyway um, I essentially was there by myself Ashley was quite a bit younger than me and had friends there and, and she was a really really hard worker um, so she was gone most of the time. Kind of a funny story. I remember that Thursday we worked, both worked really, really hard, um, tracking stories, getting every kind of quote, going everywhere we could, discovering this place, finding out where we could go, where we couldn't go, uh, trying to watch some shows, uh, but mostly just working. Did not watch a lot of music. And I remember... I think it was that Friday night. She finally said, I'm going to work till about nine or 10. And then I want to see this late night show. And she disappeared. And me being the older guy responsible, I thought I remember waiting up because I could hear in my head, my editors, you know, if she disappeared, because there was all these rumors that people were, you know, filling their bottles with PCP and spraying people. And I mean, there was all this crazy kind of rumor stuff. But anyway, at two or three in the morning, it got in my head. So I was like, I'm going to wait up till she gets back because I don't want to be the guy that says, yeah, she's been gone. I, you know, I didn't check. Don't care, whatever. Uh, she obviously was fine, having a great time. And so I did it that way. I think she went twice. She went 07 and 08. 
and then in 09 um, had another photographer uh, Jillian who's very similar very hard worker very conscientious professional uh, we didn't spend a whole lot of time so basic point of all that is I was pretty much by myself uh, you know walking around the farm which was kind of cool because I could do what I wanted uh, but there was also, you know, long stretches where it's like, what are you, you know, do I want to go watch the show or just sit here and do nothing. Um, my son went in 08. We hung out a little bit. My daughter's first year would have been 2011 or 12. Um, she went with me uh, the one year and liked it so much when she started college at UTK, she said, I, I'm, they have an internship and I'm going to get it. And I said, well, good for you. They typically give those to juniors or seniors in college, not freshmen. Well, she got it and they liked her and kept her. And she ended up actually with a paid, uh, part-time job working for AC entertainment for the final three years of her college career. Um, handled volunteers and did all kinds of stuff. It was an amazing experience for her. She, like me, uh, immediately was impressed with how organized and how huge the operation is, and that's what intrigued her. Obviously, the music and all of that was was part of it, but it was the operation and the professionalism and how they can turn a 700-acre farm into the fifth-largest city in Tennessee uh, for five days, complete with a post office and, you know, miles and miles and miles of electric cables and sound cables and water. I mean, just amazing. But again, it was a farm, so it was very primitive. Um, at that time, very few trees, as I said, no running water, no bathrooms. Everything was porta potties or FEMA showers, if there even existed. It was rough, it was wild, and that's what people loved. It was a hippie fest. Um, it uh, Probably by the second year, I remember telling someone, this is what I love about live music. Um, and it was because you could see a hundred different bands in a very short amount of time in one place. If you didn't like one, you walked, moved on and you went to another one, and there was always going to be somebody you liked. And the the bands there appreciated the fact that we were all in it together. You know, everyone was hot, everyone was sweaty, everyone was camping. So it was a commitment. So the energy level was amazing. And the other thing that I was immediately struck with that very first year, and then it just comes back home every year that I go still, is how nice people are. Um so many times where I've seen somebody get out of line because they have to go to the bathroom or a friend or called or whatever, and they'd come back and people would be like, no, man, get back where you were. You were in line. It's cool. Um, people, I remember going to the Lost and Found tent about the second or third year because I thought it might make for a nice story tidbit. What sort of things are people losing? And a guy in front of me had dropped his wallet in the main area the night before that's 80,000 people in one place and uh, somebody found it turned it in and the guy held it up and he's like everything's still in it man unbelievable only at Bonnaroo and it sounds may sound silly to some people but that uh, radiate positivity is the uh, is the uh, motto and it's a real thing 
you leave there every year I leave there and I think, why can't people be like this all the time? So around, I guess it was 2010. It must've been, I kept walking by a particular campsite back in the media area and it was, uh, bunch of people that I knew from Chattanooga. I knew casually. Mike Dewar, um, Brad Steiner. I uh, didn't know Denson Lee at the time, but I knew several of them, and they would stop me and say, come on in, have a beer, sit down, talk, which I did uh, and enjoyed it, uh, except that they were set up in what I thought was the absolute worst possible place one could set up because they were about 20 yards from a row of probably 20 porta potties. So all you heard was porta potty door slamming 24 hours a day, and of course the smells. Um, but they, when they set up, thought it was great because they were close to the entrance. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they invited me to join them the next year, and uh, I did happily. And Brad's wife, Hillary, is a vegetarian. She was probably vegan at the time, and she had made uh, nut butter. We were talking about being vegetarian and, and all that, and she had made nut butter, and it's a funny word. So when we got to talking about you know everybody getting together the next year, uh, I just sort of threw out there that can't wait to go to Camp Nut Butter, and that became the, the name of our camp. Um Brad, being a radio guy, used to doing promotions, seized on the whole opportunity and uh, went crazy like he does and had these big, ginormous uh, plastic heads, took all of our pictures, got a buddy, Nick Turner, to uh, create these graphic uh, images of, of the eight people. I think it's eight. Ten, excuse me. Ten people that were the... Uh, that were made up Camp Nut Butter and um, had them put on giant stakes and we stuck them in the ground around the camp. Uh, we brought a big tent. We, he brought carpet. Um, we ended up with a Bloody Mary tent separate. It, it became a huge thing and it was a lot of fun. And over the years, we've added a picket fence. We've added uh, lighting. We added a, uh, a marquee. You know, you have a, we have a front entrance. People would see it when they go walking by. It just became a thing. And it's it, it's not just us. A lot of people do this. The regulars, they, you know, you make it home. And um, it, it's a lot of fun. And every year we try to outdo each other. The last year we were there, we had a mailbox that looked, had a, like a candy cane pole set up. People left us notes and trinkets and all kinds of stuff. Um point is that it's become this thing it's something that we all look forward to a lot so much so that in 2018 or maybe late 17 brad and i were having lunch as we did once a week or so and talking about bonnaroo as we did and we realized two things one we didn't know a lot of the bands on the lineup and two we spent a lot of time talking about the festival and we realized a lot of other people probably did too. And I said, we should do something while we're there. Uh, I was thinking like a Facebook Live. He took it and ran with it and came up with this podcast and reached out to Lord Taco, who he knew was very good at 
web building and that sort of thing. And like I said earlier, within days, had come up with the URL, the whatpodcast.com, had come up with the logo, which bands this year that matter, um, which again is a play on the stages. And we recorded our first one probably two weeks. We went to his studio, radio studio. I did, rather. He was already there, obviously. And we recorded and just started talking about what we loved about it. And we're amazed that within weeks we had um, literally people all over the country liking it and listening to it. And so we kept doing it. We thought, well, we'll do it right up until, you know, that festival. And when we got there, people were people were coming up to us, not just fan, fans of Bonnaroo, but people who were running the event were coming up to us and saying how much they enjoyed it. We were kind of shocked to discover that no one else was doing it. We were the first to do any kind of a podcast about Bonnaroo or as far as we knew, any kind of festival. And so we just kind of, we did a couple after the event was over. And then in for the next year, they were going to announce the lineup in the early part of the year, February or March, I think at that time. And so we thought, well, we'll do a lineup show. And I arranged to have Brad and Brian Stone, another radio guy um, who's also a Camp Nutbutter veteran. Brian's been to every single one of them since the beginning. Um, come down to the newspaper, and we did a Facebook Live uh, show uh, about the lineup that got a lot of lot of great response, a lot of big numbers. Um, and so then we started doing shows after you know, about the lineup, breaking it apart, um, who were some of the acts we didn't, we'd never heard of, who were the ones we were looking forward to, all those kinds of things. Brad came up with the idea of Bonner Roulette, uh, which at the time we weren't worried about copyright, so we would spin a fake roulette wheel and it would land on an act that we, you know, allegedly never heard of, which was true that we, we found, and then we'd listen to a little bit of it and, uh, talk about it rate it and typically they become some they became some of our favorite acts uh, not just for that year but since then so anyway it grew from there and then uh, since then uh, our friends Daniel and Sharla have started uh, the Rubus podcast and Jake and Parker with the Ruham podcast have uh, started their own and I think we've all sort of found uh, niches, if you will. Uh, at, at, in its essence, we all basically love the festival and break it down and, and do everything from talk about the lineups to give tips. Um, but Brad and I seem to have focused a little bit more on sort of the inside baseball stuff. Um, our contacts, his contacts through the radio station and mine through the newspaper, we're able to get some of the bands that are performing um, to join us. We've had everything from St. Paul and the Broken Bones to like Coin, like I said, Rufus DeSoul, Krungbin, um, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead's been on the show. Um, 
probably the one of the real turning points for us was uh, when Ashley Caps was either the third or fourth show, maybe. We just thought, well, this is crazy enough. Why don't we reach out and ask? And all he can say is no. And we ask Ashley to be a, a guest on the show. And he agreed. Ashley is the AC and AC Entertainment, co-founders of Bonnaroo. Uh, he was terrific. Gave us, I don't even remember, 45 minutes. Uh, talked about the development of the festival, its, you know, its origins, where he thinks it's going to go. Uh, it was it was pretty great, and I think that was kind of an aha moment for us that we thought, well, this thing could be more than we ever imagined. And sh- shortly after that, we had Paul Janaway from St. Paul and the Broken Bones. He was hilarious. He was so great. We ended up doing two episodes with him because he gave us so much great material. And then shortly after that, we had Jeff Quayar on. Jeff is, um, oh, he had one of those crazy long titles but he was essentially head of and head of development um developing the festival he's also the face of he was always the guy on camera and uh like ashley he gave us a lot of inside baseball stuff that we never thought about and so from there it just grew and uh, continues to grow um to the point where a year ago, I guess it was, we had um, Allie and John on. They are uh, promoters uh, with um, big-time music promoters. And we had them on to talk about, you know, how a festival like Bonnaroo or Forecastle or Coachella or Lollapalooza, how any of them um, booked their bands. And looking at it from the promoter's point of view, um, they were very, very insightful. Um, Learned a lot. Learned a lot, uh, for example, things that I had thought I knew I was uh, corrected on, which I loved. Like I said, I I love being corrected. Um, But that show was listened to by a guy named Alex Young, who was one of the co-founders or co-founder of at that time, Consequence um, of Sound Network. Uh, within weeks after they reached out and said, we'd love to have you guys be part of our network, they changed it to just consequence.net. Um, but anyway, so we've been doing that, and they asked us to expand it, which is something we had already been talking about and were planning to do, uh, which was to talk about not just Bonnaroo, but... Uh, all kinds of festivals like Lollapalooza and Coachella and those sorts of things, um, which we've done. And But that gives us uh, a little bit more cachet, I guess, a bigger audience because they're really good at pushing, pushing it out uh, to people uh, as well as uh, helping us in any way they can, and, and they've been great. Uh, so, again, something that we, you know, thought of on a whim um, has grown into this crazy thing and I give a lot of the credit to Brad uh, the radio guy he does a terrific job of putting the show together he knows what he's doing he's done it for a long long time so it has that element but uh, I think the main thing is um, this kindred spirit that this festival has created this community uh, we did a show and I wish the audio was better but When it canceled this year, for example, um, a good many people were already well into their travel to Manchester. 
some were already there some were so close that it was too too close to turn around and so this whole Bonnaroo community thing happened there were many ruse from Chattanooga to Nashville to Knoxville probably even Atlanta and all around we we ended up doing a show at the moxie downtown chattanooga and had uh, a lot of our regular listeners uh, including a couple from indiana um, came on down just came down they were already in i think manchester and said well let's go to chattanooga and be part of this show which was pretty cool actually it was really really cool because of just that community um We've become great friends with uh, uh, the Rubus people and the Camp Redaroo people um, that we communicate with pretty much year-round. So that's what all that is. Like I said, this was just sort of a history of how we got here. I said earlier that Bonnaroo reminded me why I like music, why I like live music in particular, and why I got into the job. The Paul McCartney show in 2013 just absolutely hammered that home. I remember I interviewed Ashley the next day, and uh, he and I both were just totally geeking over it. It was, he said, a career moment for him to have been able to bring, you know, McCartney to Tennessee. And um, for me, it was, I actually was at one of the few probably just six five or six people allowed to photograph uh in the pit area you know so i'm there with the rolling stones of the world uh the big guys uh so that was a complete career highlight uh not only to see a beetle but to be able to shoot it uh to see it in tennessee it was huge and to see it at bonnaroo is amazing so that's why i spend so much time talking about it i guess and that's why we have the what podcast which you can find on all platforms, thewhatpodcast.com. Shameless plug. Um, so that's it. So, all right, I'm going to do more of these. Um, some of them will be more funny. Uh, this one was a lot more serious than I intended it to be. Um, there are some funny stories from, from Bonnaroo, but quite honestly, most of them are kind of, location jokes you really kind of had to be there um there's some funny things that i've seen but mostly it's an amazing number of uh, concerts and shows and just the professionalism and seeing that thing grow um i'll, I'll say this every year for many many years when i would do stories i would always write about the grass or the trees or the shade and it uh it even caught me i i you know I would say to myself, why are you writing about grass? But it's important. If you've never been there, you'll understand why. Um, without the grass, it becomes a giant dust bowl or a mud pit. But uh, they planted <laughs> planted grass, and it makes a huge difference. So uh, they plan to be there for a long, long time, and I hope they are because it's one of my favorite things. So anyway... You're, if you're still listening, it's People with Barry, and I can't thank you enough for giving me so much of your time, and I hope to do this again soon. So thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Get-